Good morning, Arbor Church. Welcome to Arbor. If it's your first time with us, we're glad that you're here. We hope that you enjoy your time here and that we are all kind enough that you'd come back and join us again. If you're a regular here, be, be, be kind to everybody around you. We don't know why they're here or where they're from and find out. We'd like to get to know you. Um, I'm thrilled to be here today. I have to give a confession. It's been a crazy week. I have been battling some nasty head cold all week long. I believe that I'm germ-free and good right now. But if somewhere along the way my voice cracks, it's not because I'm going through puberty again. It's simply because I've been cranking cold medicine and trying to clear out the nostrils and everything like that. So it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? But I'm thrilled to be up here speaking today and continuing our short series called I Choose. Last week, Jake talked about purpose over popularity. And the theme that we're revolving around in this short series is that life is not determined by chances, but by choices. Life is not determined by chances, but by choices. Today we'll be looking at choosing discipline over regret. The idea is that by choosing to live a disciplined life, we can diminish our living in regret I'm sure many of us can look back on our lives and look at some decisions that we've made that have led to regrets, like the time I drank a dozen raw eggs because I was trying to channel Rocky Balboa, and it helped that my friends were standing there chanting me on and daring me to do it. Not a good decision, lots of regrets to follow that. Or the time I thought that I could be like Tarzan and swing from one vine to another vine across a ravine just saying it doesn't really work that well. Painful. Um, and while these little, de- these little decisions I made um, led to painful physical regrets in one form or another, more due to my youthful um, energy and hubris, I've also encountered more enduring regrets in life from undisciplined decisions or a serious lack of judgment on my part. I'm sure that we all are not alone in our struggle of choosing discipline over regret. And I hope that today we can learn from Scripture how to better learn what discipline does for our life and how to avoid regrets. Let's pray. God, you're an awesome God. You know that it's been a crazy week for me. You know that even now, cold medicine is swimming through my head, Lord, so I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that your message would come forth, the heart of what I wanted to say today would be said through you, that you would give us ears that wanna hear, hearts that wanna listen, and feet that wanna put into action what we learned today. We thank you for your scripture, your grace, and your mercy that's new every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Life is really about something we like to call pain. Isn't that a joyful entry to the day right there? But we are going to experience pain in life, either the pain of discipline or the pain of regrets. Now, pain is a relative term. It can be interpreted differently by different people. One person's pain is another person's motivation. And there are varying levels of pain. I'm reminded of one of my favorite stand-up comics, Brian Regan, who does a little bit about pain and ending up in an emergency room, and the nurse asking him, on a scale of one to 10, can you tell me what your level of pain is? 
And he's wrestling with whether to say a four, and then they won't take it that seriously, or saying like an eight or a nine, but then he realizes he's heard that breaking a femur is like the most painful thing in your world you can do, and he doesn't want all the broken femur patients coming downstairs and yelling at him for saying he chose a level four, but he can't say 10 because his wife has told him child labor is a 10, and the only way a male can ever feel the pain of child labor, as Carol Burnett would say, is like taking your bottom lip and pulling it out and up over your head. So when it comes to describing the level of pain that you're experiencing, it's all relative. Because none of us really can understand the level of pain that you feel, that I might feel, given a situation. And while we might be going through similar situations, the level of pain is different. Even if it's good pain and discipline training for an event or studying for an exam, your pain of studying might be different than my pain of studying or the pain of regret that we didn't accomplish what we wanted, or we failed at something we were trying to do. The level of pain is relative to each and every one of us. But what we can all understand is, there is a pain that comes with discipline, and there is a pain that comes with regret. And we all understand the concept that to achieve a goal in our life, something that we want, requires a plan and the discipline to follow that plan. To do what we have set out to do, and that will inevitably result in some pain. Maybe you're trying to get out of debt, and you may have to encounter the pain of not eating out. No movies, no vacations, no new shoes for a while, holding off on that new car. If we're trying to lose weight, which is a common theme this time of year of New Year's resolutions, we may have to encounter the pain of no pastries. That's a hard one. Exercise can even be its own form of pain. Or eating green things. Or, for Jake, no Pepsi. That would be painful. Maybe we're striving to improve our relationship, our marriage, and we need to be more painful about our accountability, the level of our vulnerability, our ability to be honest. See, each one of these is going to require choosing the pain of discipline or we'll eventually encounter the pain of regret. If we don't tackle our debt, we may find ourselves with the regret of failure, We can't give to somebody when we need to. We can't take that vacation we planned. With weight, it may lead to health issues. Maybe it leads to our own internal shame or disappointment. In our relationships, it may lead to broken promises, unfaithfulness, the lack of trust. We've all been on this balance beam of trying to get from one end to the other and falling off and failing along the journey. So today I'm asking us to choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. Choose discipline over regret. And in doing that, there is a pain of discipline that comes along with it, but it's a different type of pain. And the pain of regret is distinctly a different type of pain. And I hope as we walk through this today, we can look at some of that. I want to start with a passage from the Apostle Paul and his letter to the church in Rome called Romans. And you need to know a little bit about Paul to give some context to this passage. Many of you may know this, some of you may not, but Paul was a fanatical Pharisee in his day, which means he was a religious zealot. His whole mission in life, and he was given this mission by the Pharisees that he served and the Jewish people he worked for, was to wipe out this Jesus movement, these little Christ, or Christians as they called him, And so Paul would travel around the region, rounding up these Christians, persecuting them, and even killing them. 
There's a story where he stands by and watches the apostle Stephen get stoned, and he held the coats of the men that stoned him. Paul was feared in the Christian community. They had signals, they had underground messages about when Paul was coming to the region to go underground and have services elsewhere. He was feared. The number of people he'd murdered was in the hundreds or thousands. Yet somewhere on the road to Damascus one day, Paul had an encounter with Jesus, fell on his knees, was blinded, and Jesus said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, Paul had a conversion from where he was to who he was persecuting, the Christians himself, and he became a disciple, a servant, a slave to Christ. And he became a church planter. He became the greatest missionary of all time. He has written more letters in the book of the New Testament than any other person. He became a stalwart, a leader in the new church. And we find him here writing to the Romans about this struggle we're talking about today. This great man of God, Paul, says this. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Romans 7, verses 15 through 24. I like how this sounds in the New Living Translation. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I'm not the one doing wrong. Is it sin living in me that does it? And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does this. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that still is within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Can you relate to this passage? I've been there many times. Wrestling with, I said I wasn't going to do this again, and yet here I am. I said I was going to follow this plan, and yet I have veered off of it. I said I wasn't going to talk like that anymore, yet here I've said that thing again. And and this is just not pop psychology. We all understand there's a battle. They've been doing it for ages in cartoons. The angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other shoulder, the battle within. That's real, folks. There is a real war going on inside of us. It's not just a Star Wars, the force and the dark side. It really is principalities of darkness fighting for us to get off a path of discipline that God knows is best for us. And it is not a list of rules and regulations. It's a disciplined life that leads to relationship with him. And yet inside of us, there's a tug, a battle for the temporary over the eternal, the now over the eternal. And we all battle with it. In this passage, Paul is talking about achieving a life lived in holiness and fullness with Christ, yet even he struggles with it. On a daily basis, and if you look back at verses 22 and 23, he says, I'll read it to you again. He says here, and I know that nothing good lives in me, all right? I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. 
I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. What is going on here? Our first simple concept today is this. Discipline is choosing what we want most over what we want now. Discipline is choosing what we want most over what we want now. You may be saying, well, duh, God, of course. But if you don't understand that concept first, then figuring out how to get through that concept is the next step. We have to understand that oftentimes we sacrifice what we want most for what's in front of us right now. We can make a bunch of analogies with that from fitness to diet to relationships to honesty. So what is it you want most? Take a moment and think about that for a second. What is it you want most? And maybe it's just a pastry right now. I don't know. But hopefully it's something more deep than that. Maybe it's the Seahawks winning today. But maybe it's something deeper than that. What is it you want most? Maybe you want to lose 20 pounds. Maybe you want to get out of debt. Maybe you'd like to be in a relationship. Maybe you want to win the lottery. Maybe you want or really need a new car. Maybe you just want to figure out your calling in life, your purpose. Maybe you want someone to come back into your life. Maybe you want to figure out, what is this Jesus person all about? Any of those can be your must. We all have things in life we want to achieve that will require discipline, though. Paul states that he is not even able of choosing discipline consistently, choosing what is best and right. So if the apostle Paul can't do this on a consistent basis, it seems, then what hope is there for us? The answer lies at the end of this passage that I didn't read to you. The closing verse, verse 25 of Romans 7. Paul says something profound here that I believe is the key to choosing all right, what we want most over what we want now. And he says this. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and all my mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So if I'm being asked to choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret, this passage is telling me that simply choosing will not be enough because it's going to be a struggle. It's a battle between flesh and spirit, will and want. So how do I do this? I choose it in Christ. I cannot do this on my own. Now, I can do a lot of good on my own. And I can do a lot of disciplined things in my life on my own. But is it going to achieve the ultimate that what Christ wants us to achieve? Is it going to, the discipline in your life going to lead to something that really is relevant and eternal and important? You do not have to have Christ in your life to lead a disciplined life. But if you want to lead a disciplined life of Christ, then he's going to need first and foremost in your life to get through that. Paul provides us another great metaphor of an athlete in his letter to the Corinthians. So we flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, again from the Living Translation. We're going to read this. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. 
So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. See, the Greeks had two great athletic festivals, the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were held in Corinth and were therefore very familiar to the um, Corinthian people that Paul was writing to. Contestants in the games had to prove themselves through rigorous training for 10 months, and then they qualified. The race, the big race, the marathon race, was always a major attraction at the games, and that is the event Paul is using to illustrate the faithful Christian life. He says, those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize. No one would train so hard for so long without intending to win. We all want to win. I know we live in the day of participation where everybody gets a ribbon. Well done, everybody. Good job. You all lost today, but you get a ribbon. All right? But in the real life, we all want to win. We all love the thrill of victory. We don't like the agony of defeat. So Paul is pulling this analogy here, and he says, so if we want to, we need to run in such a way that you may win by setting aside anything that hinders us. Now, the athletes took this literally back in the day. They took off anything that would hinder them from running, which means everything, and they ran nude. All the more reason to want to be in first place in that race in front of people the whole time. Just saying. <laughs> A little motivation there for me, at least. I am not suggesting that the secret today to discipline is nudity. That is not what I'm saying. Although there might be times in life that's required. What I'm saying is that, what is it that's hindering us? What is it that's hindering us in our race? And what is it we're trying to win? Because see, in Christ, if you throw off what hinders and you live a disciplined life, we all can win. We really can all participate and be winners. Because the Christian life calls us to be winners. But you have to figure it out, what is it that's hindering you? And that, my friends, that, my friend, is the art of discipline. Athletes will look at what hinder them. Is it my running stride? Is it my weight? Is it my form, my technique? Do I not have enough aerobic endurance? They try to tick off everything that hinders them to become prime because they know that one hundredth of a second can be the difference between winning the gold and getting the silver? Do we approach our life with the same wondering of what hinders us? My next point is this. Discipline must have a purpose. Discipline must have a purpose. And I think for many of us, we attach the wrong purpose to the discipline we're trying to have. I'm not saying that we become so heavenly minded we're no earthly good, but you have to have an internal perspective. In the Olympic and Ithmian athletes exercise such great discipline and self-control in all things, why can't Christians? Paul asks, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. See, they earned a reward. It was this lovely little green wreath that they set on their head. And it designated them as fame, the winner, the champion. But over time, that wreath would fade away. And while they may be treated as immortals, as heroes of their day, much like we do with our athletes today, over time, 
they too would fade into the memories of people. Maybe live in legends, but it fades away because it's all temporary. But we live for an imperishable pearl prize, an eternal prize. We have the imperishable life that God requires discipline for. And that's what he's calling us to when he says, choose discipline over regret. And you can make that connection to anything you want it to be in life. Whether it's learning, business, an artistic skill, your marriage, your spiritual well-being, whatever you choose, if you apply the discipline, all right, that you're in this with Christ, it will bring a whole new purpose and meaning to what it is you're trying to do. Why do we try to live in integrity in our business dealings that we do? Why do we try to be above reproach? Is it just for the popularity and the acceptance and the trust of men? Or is it we know that if we do that, we're honoring God that will result in relationship and trust from others? And more importantly, a relationship that's more deeply and intimately with our Savior. Paul trained fearlessly and rigorously because he feared that after preaching to others, he did not want to be disqualified. It's another metaphor from the Isthmian Games that if a contestant failed to meet the qualifications after the 10-month period, if like they said, I'm gonna be an athlete, but they didn't do the work, and then the test came around, there was judges set up, you're not in the games. You can't compete. Paul's fear was this, if I stand up here and tell you to live a certain way, and then you see me out here doing this, I have no credibility. I have no credibility. I have yet to talk to a financial advisor that is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. They may have been in debt, but they have found how to manage money. I have yet to go to a doctor to get a diagnosis that hasn't been to medical school. You see the analogy I'm making. We put this discipline plan in our life and we think that if I just kind of go about it on my own, not recognizing there's gonna be a battle, that we're not gonna counter struggles, that we can just do this. It is a battle. Many believers start this Christian life with enthusiasm and devotion. They train carefully for a while, but soon tire the effort and begin to break training habits. Before long, they disqualify themselves from their own Christian walk. The flesh, the world, the everyday affairs creep in like the weeds in the parable of the sower and choke out your discipline and your intent. Reminds me, I'm a big hiker. Some of you know I love hiking. And one of the places I like to hike is the top of mountains. And to get to the top of mountains, you can go one of two ways. You can go straight up, it's called scrambling, which usually requires some extra equipment and some things if you're gonna be doing that. Or sometimes you could follow a path that's been built and most paths do what they call switchbacks up and across the mountain. And switchbacks can be long and slow or steep and quick, but they take you zigzagging up the mountain. Some people get this idea as they're on the switchbacks, they go, I can see the next one, so they do a shortcut between the switchbacks. I think I'll just do it once, no big deal. But then the next person comes along and sees it and they do it again. Or that person does it again and again. And over time, what happens is you build this path that's, by, that's cutting right through all the switchbacks. And nobody thinks it's that big a deal until it begins to rain. And what you've created was a channel for water to run right down and erode all the work that came before you. And that erosion on time, all right, 
test the quality of the path and trail that was there. It wipes it away. It erodes the integrity of what was intended to be a pathway to a peak into an eroded mess. I don't think I need to create or paint the analogy of maybe how we do that to ourselves in our own life. We take a shortcut out the front door to the curb of the road across our beautiful yard and pretty soon there's a dirt path. And then there's an old man saying, get off my yard. Because he knows if you keep cutting cutting through the grass, you may not see it the first day, you may not notice it after seven days, you may not notice it after a month, but pretty soon you've created a diversion for the pains of life to flow right through. Discipline cannot lead to legalism, arrogance, or self-sufficiency. Do not make the error thinking that it is your discipline that results in your life's victories and wins. No, when we are Christians, it is Christ in us that allows us to lead a disciplined life in order to win in this temporary life. And the win that Christ is looking for amongst us followers is this, a peace and contentment in our relationship with him. I'm not here to ask what it is you want most and know what you want most, but whatever it is, debt-free, addiction-free, healing, restoration, transformation, trust, health, it should be for the purpose of Christ to be honored fully and personally in you and him. That's got to be somewhere in the decisions of your reasons to be disciplined. You can do it without him, but at the end of that discipline, you're getting a temporary wreath. You may have the fame and the accolades and people looking up to you on earth, but I want to hear at the end of my disciplined life, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Only from the Savior, because that's all that matters. What is the purpose of your discipline? If you're not clear on the purpose then the result could lead to regrets. I've had many regrets. I could sit here and give you a laundry list of them. Perhaps today you're here wrestling with your regrets, and I'm talking about bigger regrets than just egg yolks. And drinking a dozen raw eggs and then going on a five-mile run is a recipe for disaster. Let's just say it results in scrambled eggs. I know, I had to go there. It just was perfect for it. You know, you can take the the guy out of junior high, but you can't take the junior high out of the guy. It always comes back to farts and puke or something. I'm sure there's people in here today sitting with the weight of past mistakes, failures, broken promises. And it seems all lost because you did not practice the self-control or discipline you were determined to do this time around. And I have been there just as well. Apparently, so has Paul. I have found myself ruining the present because of something I did in the past. Rather than just regrets, I call them vain regrets. Because it is vain to think that I can change the past by dwelling on it. Or that wallowing in the mistakes of my past will somehow rectify the present state of affairs and ignite this new desire in me to do better. Instead, vain regrets paralyze me from taking action in the present. The Apostle Paul also referred to this problem in his letter to the church in Philippi. 
And he wrote, to the, he wrote in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You may think, well, Paul doesn't have as much to regret as I do. Really? Think back to who Paul was, the number of lives and innocence that he took, the misinformation and gospel that he spread before he became a Christian. Maybe he hurt people in his ministry. Maybe he sacrificed and did things in his ministry that hurt relationships. We know of a story where he cut off a kid named Mark out of his life, only to bring Mark back in later in life. Folks, the point is this. You walk through the scriptures from, from Adam to Abraham to David to Elijah. They all encountered mistakes and failures and fell into regrets. Peter himself had plenty to regret. Why did I deny him? Why did I run? Why did I hide? We all find ourselves in the pit in the muck of regret. But remember this, Jesus forgives. He restores. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, our failures, our mistakes, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is God our Father saying this, get back in the game. Get up. Living in vain regrets is going to do nothing but weigh you down. It will destroy your discipline. It will paralyze you. If God is willing to forgive us and forget, we are foolish if we do not do the same to ourselves. To continue to receive the forgiven, to continue to relive the forgiven sins of our past is a waste of time. It's a trick of the enemy. It's its number one tools to isolate you and make you feel like no one else is messed up as bad as you. To live in the past is living an undisciplined life. To live in regrets is stopping discipline in its tracks. It denies and doubts the discipline of our Savior, that he will always keep his promises, including forgive and restore and renewal. Do you have anything that could be harder for you to put behind you and forgive than anybody else in the scripture? What regrets are you holding on to today that are hindering you living the disciplined life you're called to live? God is still willing to use you he wants to help you. He forgives you. Can you forgive yourself? Choosing discipline over regret. Let's decide to say today to live with no regrets. Refuse to be the one saying, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. I should have taken better care of myself. If only I could have forgiven him or her. If only I could have repaired that relationship. I never planned to end up here. I'd give anything for another chance. I wish I'd never started whatever it is. I had no idea it would ruin my life. I have too many broken promises to be trusted again. 
God is standing there reaching his hand out to you saying, it's not too late. Refuse to be short-sighted. Refuse to be plagued by regrets. You've never gone too far that God can't reach you. You've never gone too far that God can't reach you. You've never gone too far or failed too much or fell too hard or too deep that God can't reach you. As Paul said, so I run with a purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing, fighting a pretend enemy. I discipline myself like an athlete, training myself to do what I should. We need to run to win. We need to run with a purpose in every step. We need to keep the faith and keep it real, knowing the struggles are real, the mistakes are real, the slip-ups are real. But you can get back in the game. You can get back on the path. You can choose discipline over regret. My hope is that you start running again with the right purpose and for the right purpose because the prize that you're going to win is far more than anything temporary on this earth. Whatever it is you want most that you have forsaken to choose the now, I ask you to go back and reflect, reach out to Jesus, and choose discipline over regret. Let's pray. God, you are an amazing, graceful, awesome, redeeming Savior. You've reached down onto this ball of mud called earth and you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, we make all these choices in life to try to do the right thing, be the right person, say the right thing. We try to live these disciplined lives and make choices and yet we falter, we fail, we step to the side and then we just give up because we say we can't do it. And Christ, we need to be in you and for you and with you. That doesn't mean we're not gonna fail. That doesn't mean we're not gonna have struggles. What it means is that with you by our side, we always have a way back in the game. We are never fully disqualified. We are not just an athlete that can be told you can't participate. We are an athlete in Christ that says, get back up, I'll run with you. I'll work with you. God, I thank you that we are just not athletes in temporary games, but we are children and heirs of God. And that the disciplined life does not need to end up in regret. That we can live a disciplined life. I thank you, Jesus, that the disciplined life is that we're on a path of trying and trying and trying, not perfection, not never failing, but are trying to be in relationship and honoring you. May we find a way back to that disciplined path today, Lord, if we have wandered off of it. I thank you, Jesus, for the gift of forgiveness and redemption and renewal. May we all find that today and repeat the goals that we've set to live a disciplined life. Amen.